Welcome everyone. It's a delight to be back here with you. My name is Molly Rowan Leach. I am your host for the next hour with uh, our wonderful guest that I'm about to introduce to you. You are tuned in to Restorative Justice on the Rise. Restorative Justice on the Rise is a podcast and a Creative Commons resource website based in uh, the practice of restorative justice, but also across spectrum peace building um, solutions and uh, resources for you, a, a national map, and hopefully a map that expands beyond just the United States. But uh, please check out restorativejusticeontherise.org if you haven't already. And if you have an organization to list or um, a company that is related to peace building and RJ, it's free to list your uh, offering or your organization there. We're really delighted to be with you tonight. And for the next hour, we have the absolute honor and pleasure of hearing from Rita Marie Johnson. Um, this is a real treat. I've been wanting to have Rita Marie on this uh, dialogue series for quite some time because of the fact that restorative justice is something that deeply values and sees the importance of relationships and how key they are to the fabric of our lives, really, and to our systems, and sees harm and conflict as uh, very directly related to relationships and how we go about repairing them when harm occurs. So Rita Marie and uh, Rita Marie Johnson, she is the creator of the Connection Practice, as you probably know from the emails you've been getting inviting you to this conversation. She is the founder and CEO of the Rasur Foundation International, which sponsors the Connection Practice. In 2009, she initiated a Ministry for Peace bill in Costa Rica, which passed in 2009. Her book, Completely Connected, Uniting Our Empathy and Insight for Extraordinary Results, is an Amazon bestseller. And I just wanted to add that former president of Costa Rica, Oscar Arias, who is a Nobel Peace Prize laureate, says about Rita Marie's work, Combining empathy and insight, as Johnson has shown, is a valid and proven way to improve human relations. And from one of the former um, ministers of culture in Costa Rica, Carlos Francisco Echeverria, he says, Rita Marie Johnson has helped thousands of Costa Rican children and teachers prevent school violence through her connection method. He says about the book that he hopes it will spread the experience to schools and other organizations throughout the world. So. Without further ado, welcome to you, Rita Marie, and thank you so much for your time tonight. We have a lot to share, I know, so let's get it, get it going. Thank you, Molly. I'm so pleased to be with you and to support your work with Restorative Justice. You know, it's a, obviously a, a great fit with the connection practice, so thank you for having me. It's my honor. So uh, let's start out with um, maybe if you could share a little history about the connection practice and how it came to be and what you've achieved with it. Sure. Well, from a very early age, I wanted to be a peacemaker. I was really clear about that. Uh, my sister and I actually declared when I was about 10 years old that we both wanted to be peacemakers. And so... I learned soon, though, that it was one thing to have that desire and to hold peace as an ideal, but it's really another thing to walk that talk on a daily basis. So it's always been an important value to me to be authentic. And I went looking for a method that would help me really embody peace. And when I think about embodying peace, what it really means to me is to feel peaceful, you know, to continually aim to feel peaceful and to be able to speak peacefully. 
So back in 1997, I learned about heart-brain coherence from the HeartMath Institute. I actually had the director of HeartMath come to Costa Rica, where I was living. And after that conference, I was having a very tense conversation with someone who had also learned coherence at that conference. And we decided to just stop our conversation and to get into coherence rather than continuing and possibly getting into an argument. So a few minutes into that coherence, I had an insight about the situation that we were dealing with, and it immediately resolved this disagreement. So that was really the, the biggest turning point in my life because I had learned how to use coherence to access an insight. And being able to find that wisdom in my own heart has meant um, a completely different life for me in truth. However, even though I discovered that, I still wasn't very good at knowing what to say in a conflict. I usually avoided conflicts uh, and just kind of shut down when people would talk to me in a way that triggered me. So I attended a nonviolent communication intensive with Marshall Rosenberg so that I could work on that. I'd heard about Marshall's nonviolent communication and was impressed by it. So during the intensive that I took with Marshall, I found that I was getting into my head uh, trying to learn NVC, nonviolent communication. I was trying so hard to say it perfectly and really just finding myself feeling shut down and stilted really in my words. And so what I did is I started getting coherent in order to, to stop having those um, thoughts that really shut me down and to just let my heart carry the words. And that was the first time that I combined the coherence with the nonviolent communication. And so when I got home from that conference, which was in Puerto Rico, I came back to Costa Rica, and I was just laying on my couch, and suddenly I had this aha that there was this synergy between the empathy of nonviolent communication and the insight that's accessible through heart-brain coherence that I'd learned from heart math. So I thought more and more about that and tried it. I used it in a counseling with a young woman to see if I could um, use my skill of empathy to help her release her negative feelings and then lead her into coherence and see if she could get an insight about what was troubling her. And it worked. So I was amazed at that. Mm. Mm-hmm. That That's really the, the essence of what happened is that aha that I had of combining them mm-hmm. would have been my, my North Star ever since. Mm. That's a powerful story. And it it's interesting because one of the things that I've noticed about um, in reading Completely Connected as I am and um, going to be taking your, your class later in September, um, it's a, a fairly simple thing, as you're saying, in, uh, in theory, um, but in practice, maybe not so simple. And I'm wondering if we could pause for a moment for me to just ask you a quick question about what you just described. Um, you said that, that you and your, your colleagues stopped um, to, first of all, you found yourselves able to pull yourselves out of a situation and go into coherence. And mm-hmm. maybe some of us are already familiar on this uh, dialogue tonight with what that means, but for those of us who may not be, and even you know, for me, I'm curious what you mean by that. How were you able sure. to pull yourself out and, uh, you know, in, a, in an intense situation? And then um, how, you know, how did that work for the two of you? And if you're hearing thunder and um, rain, rain is coming down in sheets here tonight in central Colorado. It's an amazing evening. <laughs> so. Sure, Molly. I'm happy to answer that question. Well, Uh, In this conversation, uh, thank goodness, we had just learned coherence. So it was really fresh for us. You know, we both had just learned it, and we realized we were getting tense. And so 
um, you know, we really valued our relationship. We didn't want to end up in an argument. And so, you know, I just suggested, I just said, actually, the person I was talking to, her name was Paula. I said, Paula, let's just try this coherence that we just learned. And so what we did is three simple steps. It's called quick coherence, uh, which is a, a tool from HeartMath Institute. And it is heart focus, which is when we drop all of our attention down into the heart. And I'm feeling it drop in me right now, just dropping my energy down into the heart. And then you breathe deeply and rhythmically as if breathing down in the heart. And you want to really give attention to this breathing step. really helps just breathing deeply and rhythmically. And then the third step of quick coherence is feeling appreciation or positive feeling just filling your heart with this sense of care, of appreciation, like a big smile in the heart. And we use something that's easy to appreciate. For example, I use my dog Millie to get to coherence. That's what I use the majority of the time because Millie is completely positive for me. So... I just generate that feeling of appreciation for Millie. Now, that seems like such a a simple thing to do, and it is, but it's scientifically based, scientifically verified each step of quick coherence. There's a physiological shift that's taking place as we do that. And so what happens when I get my heart coherent with these three steps is that my heart has the power to pull my brain into coherence. It's called entrainment, when the heart pulls the brain. Um, there's a, an explanation for that that I won't go into. But the bottom line is that if we can get to a positive feeling in our hearts, then the heart does the work for us of pulling the brain. And that's so much easier than trying to just mm-hmm. fight our, our minds. You know, when our minds take us on a, on a negative ride, Uh, Sometimes it's challenging to get off the ride. Uh, But if we go to the heart and let the heart do the work for us, get a positive feeling down in the heart going with something that's easy, then the heart will pull your brain into coherence for you so that then you can get on a more creative track of problem solving. Mm. And definitely feel the difference. So I just would love to um, pause for just a moment and welcome anyone who's arriving uh, or just arriving in the room. This is Molly Rowan Leach, and we are with Rita Marie Johnson, who is the author of Completely Connected, Uniting Our Empathy and Insight for Extraordinary Results. And um, Rita, I'm wondering if you... Uh, I know that we're going to later on open up the lines for for some conversation with you in about 30 minutes or so. Um, And I'm looking forward to that. And thank you to everyone who put in um, questions and comments during the registration process. The intention of these dialogues is to be inclusive and um, really open it up to make sure that people get a chance to feel connection. <laughs> so um, it's, it's a delight to have you all here tonight. So Rita Marie, would you like to share any other personal stories with us about how you have used the connection practice or should we move on with, the, with other areas that we want to cover with you tonight? Well, I'd like to share a story, Molly, because this story will illustrate the steps of the practice. When I was speaking before about this example with my colleague, it was really only the coherence. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, of course, I did have an insight at that time uh, that helped us resolve that situation. But I'd like to tell a story that gives people the sense of the flow of the whole practice. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. mm -hmm. So not... Long ago, I was preparing to meet with a business associate, a man named John, uh, who was working with me on a change in the relationship between our two organizations. And I'd already had one experience with John uh, in a first meeting, and at that time he'd been uncooperative, and I actually felt like he was trying to belittle me. 
Um, and so it took me by surprise. I didn't expect that. And so uh, I was determined that this time I was going to really connect with this man and see if we could make progress on this relationship and changing the relationship of our organizations. So the first step was really identifying my own feelings. That's what we do in the connection practice in order to get to self-empathy. So at that time, I was feeling pessimistic, uh, a little bit resentful, a little suspicious even, and quite nervous um, to be with this man. And then I went under those feelings to the perception I was having of unmet needs and I named my needs as respect and emotional safety and trust and progress. And I realized that my main need was really progress, that I really wanted to, to bring this um, relationship between our organizations to uh, some kind of a happy closure, or not closure, but a new beginning, you could say. So then I needed to guess the feelings that John was having and guess his needs. And I guessed that he was feeling worried and stressed by some of the things that he'd said. And I, I guessed that he was needing some ease, that he was feeling kind of overwhelmed and needed more ease. And also that there seemed to be a deep need for security, financial security for his organization. And that he just needed some understanding around that. But that at the very heart of it, I felt like this man had a deep need to matter. And I, I guess his main need was that, to matter. So after doing this in, in the privacy of my own home, I was just doing my practice. Then I moved into coherence by doing the three steps I had described earlier, focusing down in my heart, breathing through my heart, feeling appreciation. And then suddenly an insight came through. And the insight was, Less is more. Well, I'm sure we've all heard that statement before, less is more. But I had never used it. It's not any words that I remembered ever having come out of my mouth before. Never had any real reason to think about it. But for some reason, the insight was less is more. So I looked at my notes and everything that I planned to bring up in this meeting, and I realized that I was trying to cover way too much. And so I got everything down to one request. I thought if I could make progress with just one thing, that would be enough for me to feel satisfied. So I went to this meeting with John, better prepared this time. And as I started talking to him, he did get off topic and told me a lot of things that were going on in his organization he was unhappy about. And I just listened and gave him empathy, just reflecting back his feelings and his needs. Because I knew that I guessed his need was to matter, so I was just trying to convey to him that he did matter. It mattered enough for me to listen, to really hear his feelings and his needs. And so then when I finally got to ask him what I needed, he said, sure, sure, no problem. And, you know, we can help you out in this other way as well. So I got my need for progress met. And I think that he got his need to matter met. And when I left his office that day, I felt like we really had established an authentic, warm connection as we said goodbye, that um, we both got our needs met and now we were connected. So that sort of gives you a sense of the flow of the connection practice, especially in having a conflict with another person. Mm-hmm. Wow. I really appreciate very much how um, this intersection and interconnection between empathy and insight seems to be the center flame of the connection practice. And I know that you know, one of the things that's important to me as a host uh, on these dialogues has been bringing more of the um, social-emotional learning framework into these conversations because we have many educators and professionals from various spectrums across the country and worldwide that come on. Um, and so I, I just want to thank you for that. I, I'm having aha moments as I read your book and I'm, I'm just 
really appreciating just the simplicity of what you're sharing. Um, I just I understand that the connection practice has won several significant awards, and I know one of them is the Ashoka Changemakers Innovation Award, which is um, an incredible honor, which was chosen from 79 projects in 32 countries. You also uh, the book has also received the Nautilus Award in Psychology, um, which again that's for completely connected. Um, the uh, Rita Marie's book that came out in 2015, published in 2015, that award was uh, given in 2016 and in 2017. You also received the Light of God Expressing Award from Unity Worldwide for creating the connection practice. Um, what is it about this practice, do you think, that has resulted in these awards, Rita Marie? Well. I, I think it's because it's both simple and profound. You know, you were just saying, Molly, um, that you're having these ahas and that you're realizing uh, in a sense the simplicity of it. We know it is simple. That doesn't mean that uh, it's always easy. Uh, you know, in other words, it does take practice. But the actual steps are simple. Uh, and, and yet it touches on this intersection inside of, of our two of our greatest strengths. You know, in the Completely Connected book, I call these strengths empathy and insight. And our formula is empathy plus insight equals connection. Uh, some people like to call empathy compassion uh, and insight wisdom, calling it wisdom. So another way to look at it is it's an intersection of wisdom and compassion in us. And so... Really, I think what makes the connection practice um, powerful is that it has a clear how-to. Uh, you know, we all love the values um, of wisdom and compassion, but knowing how to actually access them when we need them, that's the challenging part. <laughs> you know, that's what was sort of my lifelong mission is, you know, I love the value of peace and wisdom and compassion, but... I really want to be able to do it. And I can't say, you know, that I'm perfect. It's a lifelong practice. I, I work at it every day. Um, and yet it is simple. Uh, and it has profound results. So, you know, I just find that every day when I give myself empathy or give other people empathy, that it melts away pain so quickly as compared to any other approach that I use. And then insight enriches our lives with our best thinking. So, you know, the, the joy of having an insight, the awe of it. I, I tell you, every time I do it myself or I see someone else get a, an insight that just, you know, is so incredible, I, I just never get over the awe of it. Um, it just takes our lives to a new level. Um, you know, when I was teaching at the United Nations University for Peace and I had graduate students in my courses and some of them were professional mediators, and we did mediation where we would use the, the empathy of feelings and needs, but then the two people in the conflict would take it to the next level by going into coherence. In other words, the mediator would lead the two people in the conflict into coherence and each person would seek an insight and then they'd open their eyes and they'd share the insights that they got and insight took mediation way beyond any other intellectual way of resolving it you know it just takes it to a more transcendent level where the two people um, find such a creative harmonious resolution that really um, really gets them connected. So this is why I think the connection practice has won the awards is because it is simple and profound. It speeds up the evolution of consciousness, you could say, of our own consciousness, and then we, you know, impact all those around us. So it's really speeding up the evolution of consciousness. 
Mm. that making sense? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And um, I'm just going to pause for a moment because I'd like to do just a quick survey of everyone here tonight. Um, given that Rita Marie is sharing about heart coherence and I know, Rita Marie, you've shared that uh, the HeartMath Institute and Doc Childress, its founder, um, have been deeply influential to you and, and their incredible studies on the toroidal field and, of course, the, the power and science behind um, connecting with our hearts that you've you know, touched on already tonight. Um, just press 1 if you have heard of the HeartMath, HeartMath Institute, if you would, please. Press 1 on your keypad. I'm just curious to hear from our people gathered here. Looks like quite a bit. 40% uh, of you have heard of the HeartMath Institute. It's always neat to um, share information that's new too as well, Rita Marie. And I know that your work combines. Oh, it's going up to 50% now. 50% of you have heard of HeartMath. Um, Rita Marie, before we move on, could we um, hear from you on, I know many of us struggle in when something is really pushing our buttons, we get pulled in pretty quickly when it comes to conflict or as you mentioned in your, in your book, um, old memories, old, old uh, you know, <laughs> triggers get pushed mm -hmm. and um, they can really quickly pull us in and perhaps we forget ourselves or forget that we have this opportunity to go into co coherence. Do you have any recommendations for us on how we can model and be that, um, uh, that uh, how do you describe it, someone who is, is quick to recognize our own triggers and pull out of them and help others to do the same in a way that is, you know, um, authentic and not condescending? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, answer that question, Molly. Well, first of all, you know, one of the things I've noticed uh, has happened for me over the years in terms of developing that habit uh, is putting my hand on my heart. Um, and one of my friends who's a heart math master, uh, David MacArthur, uh, emphasizes this, and I, I just realized recently when he was talking about it that this has become a habit for me. Because as you know, Molly, triggers are lightning fast, right? And there's something that's happened for me by practicing this over the years that when I get triggered, uh, the, the motion of putting my hand on my heart reminds me, go there, <laughs> you know, get to your heart, you know, get to your heart <laughs> and do what you know to do. <laughs> because... I know, you know, it's very challenging when we're triggered to remember to do what we know to do. And, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, it is helpful if people around us have also learned uh, how, to, how to release those negative feelings quickly. But um, that's a small thing, but what I'm getting at here is habit. You know, the problem is a trigger has become a habit, Right. That you get triggered by something, you know, somebody says something in a way that your mother said it or your father said it or whatever, and, and suddenly, you know, you have the habit of responding in a certain way. And so in order to break that pattern, you've got to find a way to get to your heart and do what you know to do that can release those negative feelings quickly. You know, something else that's helped me, um, just this last six months, I had two different situations that were um, quite challenging, where I was having a hard time being heard. And in those situations, um, each time I knew I was going to have a conversation with somebody who was likely to trigger me. And so I set a strong intention before having those conversations that I was going to stay coherent. And then this was, these were face-to-face -face conversations. And so I went into the conversation deciding, you know, I'm going to hold coherence no matter what, just stay in my heart, breathe, and feel appreciation for my dog because <laughs> that's what keeps me coherent mm -hmm. and no matter what, you know, what they say. Mm. But what happened, Molly, is that as I, I was talking and, 
in each case, this person, different people, they said something that was hard to hear. There, I still wasn't feeling like I was being heard. And I put my hand on my heart and I closed my eyes and I was just silent. And in the first instance, then I just took a minute and I, then I opened my eyes and the person suddenly completely shifted, completely shifted and made a different statement, a different decision before I put my hand on my heart and closed my eyes. And in the second instance, the same thing happened. Put my hand on my heart, closed my eyes, and when I opened my eyes, the person shifted into taking some responsibility for their behavior. Mm-hmm. So, again, mm-hmm. and that's sort of now becoming a habit, <laughs> you know, because when, when mm-hmm. you're, you're aiming to stay coherent and stay um, in empathy for the other person, it's challenging because the amygdala of the brain is just wanting to take you there. So you have to have mm-hmm. a strong intention. You have to know what you're doing, make it a habit, and, um, and give it space. And that's kind of what I was doing, is giving it space, putting my hand on my heart, closing my eyes, mm-hmm. holding coherence, and then suddenly they shifted. I love that word space, too. Thank you. Um, it, what it elicits for me is, uh, and perhaps for everyone here to some degree, that that when we get too narrow, we also get pulled in. So creating space and spaciousness, which I believe you know you you refer to um, quite a bit in your work around giving ourselves empathy, and for you know it seems that empathy for ourselves helps us to keep that spaciousness. Is that is that about right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I yes, I do find that to be true. Um, absolutely, um, and and also being prepared. You know, when when we can to to well prepare ourselves for difficult conversations, <laughs> that helps us to, mm-hmm. to to know that we're going to create that space when we're actually with that person. You know, because mm-hmm. self empathy is. Uh, is something that's hard to do in the moment when you're with somebody. And at that point, you mm-hmm. usually need to be ready to give them empathy. So you have to prepare yourself for those difficult conversations. Right. Well, I would just like to pause for a moment and uh, remind everyone, and thank you everyone for being here with us tonight. You're the reason why we're here, and you make this dialogue possible. So please know that there's over 125 podcasts on iTunes and through Spotify as well that are free to take with you on your devices wherever you go out into the world with you. They're there for you as you see fit. And uh, just wanting you to know again, the the website is restorativejusticeontherise.org. And uh, Rita Marie, let's go back in for a few more minutes before we open up at quarter of the hour for some conversation with everyone. Uh, let's, let's just talk about some of the important aspects of um, scaling up and the importance of um, you know, creating emotional safety on smaller scales and how to create it on a larger scale, as well as innovation fatigue. I think you wanted to share a bit about that as well. So, mm-hmm. Okay, well, first of all, I just want to reinforce what we said a little earlier about it's simple, that the connection practice is simple. And to me, that's what makes it scalable at the global level. When we're talking about scalability, you know, you really have to have something that's simple enough, that's teachable, uh, that can actually be scaled at that level. So connection practice. But one of the things that I've realized and that I want to just acknowledge is that many people get triggered just by the idea of anything being scaled to the global level. And there's probably good reason for that because you know that uh, us human beings have often misused power and it's not far-fetched to fear if anything goes global that its size alone will cause it to have too much power. And since we have used power over people in so many hurtful ways, I think that 
people do get triggered sometimes by the idea of something being scaled to the global level. Um, so with the connection practice, one of its greatest strengths is that it doesn't have any power over people. Uh, you know, it's not used in that way ever at all. Uh, it's just the opposite, actually. It's a practice that empowers people to master their own irrational reactions, to tap their best intelligence, enrich their lives, and really be able to contribute to society, to the common good. So, you know, I've really been thinking a lot about this lately because we are doing some things um, in the Rosewood Foundation to scale up globally. And I've been thinking about people's fears and what they what they need, what's under that fear of power, um, besides just the fact that they know that power's been misused. And it seems to me that there is that deep human need for emotional safety that's under the fear of power, that every person really wants to know that their emotions count and will be respected. Uh, And historically, we haven't done such a great job of educating human beings and how to create emotional safety for each other. And as I look around me, I see so many people sort of isolating themselves um, more than I had noticed in the past. And it seems to me that more people are not feeling emotionally safe in the world and they don't really know how to change that or what to do about it. So they tend to withdraw to just create safety, you know, that, well, let me just work here behind my computer or work in my home or just with a small Mm -hmm. circle of friends. Um, So one of the things that has helped me personally in my life is that the connection practice has given me such a strong sense of emotional safety because when you become more confident that you can handle your life and you know what you're going to do when challenges come along. You have the clarity of a how-to that you really feel confident in. (laughs) So that when you have that, uh, you know, essentially what you have is a way to stay completely connected to yourself and others. And what that does is it leads you to this deep sense of emotional safety and inner security. So what you're learning to do is to create your own emotional safety through inner mastery rather than outer withdrawal. And I think that's, you know, what a lot of people are doing. They're withdrawing in many ways um, because they haven't got the clarity of a how-to that gives them the inner mastery that they need to be in the world. And, of course, um, besides learning how to do it for ourselves, we can all contribute to each other feeling safe. And that's what we do in our connection practice courses. We we very quickly create an energy field of emotional safety. And when that is present, it's amazing how people can open up and learn more easily. It's so much easier to learn new things when we feel safe, which, you know, you mentioned uh, innovation fatigue. Molly, there's so many new things coming at us all the time. And That's another reason I think that people are withdrawing, that they just feel fatigued from all this innovation. And while all these new ideas and things are coming at us, that they don't really have a way to feel emotionally safe and process all that. Uh, And so I just am finding each year that I teach the connection practice how important it is that we learn how to create emotional safety for ourselves and others. And that when we do that, then there's no fear around scaling up globally if we're scaling up something that's going to actually create a safer Mm -hmm. world, a place where people learn how to connect with each other and respect each other's emotional space. So Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, really key. Uh, Like I said, the longer I do this work, the more I see People just really need to learn how to do that for themselves and others. So I'd like to go Mm -hmm. ahead and share how we're doing that, um, how we are starting to scale up globally. We've got a few more minutes. Shall I go into that, Molly? And I I would love that if you would, but if you you wouldn't mind, I do have just a quick question, (laughs) right? So we have so much to cover Mm -hmm. and share. Um, But I think 
given the base of folks gathered here tonight, a lot of people are teachers, um, work with youth. Would you share with us just a quick little something about your work with the Costa Rican kids and teachers? Um, how, how did you work with them? Um, what, uh, were there any stories that you wanted to bring into the mix here, a brief one perhaps? All right. Well, first of all, we were so fortunate that the Costa Rican government for eight years supported our program. You know, I had two different Costa Rican presidents that uh, supported me personally in getting this program into the public schools. So that was a tremendous support because they sent the teachers to us for 40 hours of training on paid time. Uh, so that made all the difference in us, you know, making this quantum leap forward. Um, and in terms of what we did with um, we trained the teachers of all grades, but we focused in on fifth grade to train the kids to do what we call connection mediation. And I remember one little boy, Jose, who um, his teacher told me he had just pulled this little girl's hair, uh, pulled her basically across the whole playground uh, during recess. Uh, and he did that right after he failed a math exam. And so I was able to talk to Jose and work with him during his training. He, his teacher sent him to this training to become a mediator because she felt like he would benefit from this. So, you know, I just was working with Jose and guessing his feelings and needs. And when he felt like uh, he'd been heard and really seen for the first time, and when I guessed that he had a need for belonging, uh, he had this big tear that came down his face, um, you know, that he just really never felt like he belonged uh, in school or any place else. And once he felt heard on that, um, he was able to release that pain, then mm -hmm. I took him into coherence and he had an insight. And his insight was about being able to ask for something when he needed it, to be able to ask for support um, when he needed something like help with a math exam or something like that, uh, that he could ask for what he needed. Uh, simple thing, you know, uh, to learn to ask for what you need, but he'd never mm -hmm. learned that, you know. Nobody really mm -hmm. taught him how to do that. So essentially what I'm sharing here, Molly, is an example of how you how you help someone to stop being a bully. You know, he was a bully. And he was a bully because he'd never been seen or heard and didn't know how to ask for help. So this is just one example of working with kids in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. mm. Thank you so much. And I know you wanted to share a bit about how you're scaling up with the Rasur Foundation International. And um, maybe we could talk a little bit too at this point about your upcoming class and then go into some Q&A. Okay. So there's actually three ways that we're working to scale up the connection practice right now. Um, we're about to finish a new version of our curriculum for children and youth. And I'm so excited about this because it will make it so efficient to do the connection practice in the classroom. I won't go into the design of the new curriculum, but it has to do with using magnetized boards. So it's still kinesthetic. It'll be done in partners in the classroom so that teachers can do this uh, every morning in about 10 minutes and help the kids release any negative emotions and, and access their best thinking and be present for learning so they can be at their very best and actualize their potential during the day. So that's one thing. And then uh, secondly, we have two new storybooks that have been published. They were written by our connection practice trainers, two different trainers, and these can be distributed globally. This is a way to scale up is to get these stories out that teach the connection practice through story. And one of the stories is about a little girl whose parents are going through divorce, and they want the little girl to choose who to live with. And so the horse in the story is, essentially her connection practice trainer. And he takes her 
through the connection practice using his empathy and helps her to get insight about how to find peace in this situation. Uh, it's a beautiful little story. And then the second storybook is called Corey's Peaceful Heart, and it's for really young children, and it focuses on teaching children how to achieve heart-brain coherence. It's about the little boy, Corey, who couldn't find his peaceful heart. So these storybooks are coming out, and that's a way that we can spread the practice um, and get it across to people in an entertaining way, but a way that also teaches and, and helps, helps kids and parents mm-hmm. learn how to, how to practice connection. And then lastly, um, in September, for the first time, we're going to be offering a Part 1 Connection Practice course as a webinar, and we're doing a free introductory webinar on that on Thursday, September 7th at 5.30 Pacific Time. And we're very excited about this because this will make it possible for us to offer our basic courses. Uh, Actually, this is Part 1, but we're also going to be offering Part 2 and Part 3 as webinars so that people can learn the connection practice wherever they are in the world. And then if they do want to become trainers, they have to come to an in-person course. You know, that's a whole other level of mastery Mm -hmm. of the connection practice. And so they'll need to come and take an in-person course from me or from one of our other master trainers. So we're excited Mm -hmm. about getting out in the world through this, this launch of our global webinar, and that's coming up real soon. And that free introduction is on September 7th, and it's titled, A Simple Solution for Our Disconnected World. And I just want to back you up, Rita Marie. I've been excited for you for quite a long time in that you're um, taking the leap into technology um, to use uh, technological platforms to share this work. So congratulations on that. And um, I know we're kind of over time here. It's time to open up the lines and see if anyone would like to engage in some conversation. So in order to do that, please press 1 on your telephone keypad, okay? And don't be shy. (laughs) Um, If you have a question or a comment for Rita Marie, we really warmly welcome you to uh, get engaged here tonight. And um, while we're waiting for people to get in the queue, Rita Marie, I know that I wanted to ask you um, a little bit, just one more, I guess, um, broad question, but uh, what, what is your vision for humanity? And um, mm. where do you see us going from here, given you know, mm-hmm. we live in quite a troubled world? Yes. Well, to me, one of our greatest challenges, Molly, is that it doesn't seem that we have a clear collective picture of what we want And, you know, so we have so many movies that paint pictures of disasters, and then they'll have one or more people that come along and save the day. But what happens after the disaster? In other words, where is the exciting story of how we create an emotionally and physically safe world where people can use their creative power for good and we solve problems harmoniously? You know, where is that story? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, our foundation is based on a Costa Rican poem called Razur, which is uh, a beautiful story uh, for humanity where the children learn how to connect with themselves and others and with nature, and then they teach their parents. So, you know, this is really the the story that I hold in my heart every day that we can create. And, you know, there's so many ways to actualize human potential. You know, I always say the connection practice isn't a cure-all, but people do tell me it's a cure-a-lot, because it's so efficient. And so my mm-hmm. vision for humanity is I want a world where every person learns the art of being completely connected and then passes that gift of the how-to on. So we can put mm-hmm. a stop to, to pain that's just, you know, passed from one generation to the next. There's just so much unnecessary suffering and it creates a huge loss of our potential. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen over and over and over again in the last 12 years, it just doesn't have to be that way. We, we have the science and the experience know how to be completely connected. We can do this. Mm. Well, we definitely have some questions lining up here, so I'm going to go ahead and get uh, 
our group gathered here tonight with us. And again, thank you to everyone um, participating tonight and to everyone who registered, people from all over the, pretty much out the northern continent, um, North American continent that is. And um, so thank you to each of you for your work as well and for who you are in the world. And I want to invite Jackie to, if you would, please uh, go ahead and ask your question or make your comment. Hi, Jackie. Hi. Um, I, re I really appreciated listening to this. Um, I'm curious as to whether you've ever, if you can share a story, if you've had this experience of using the connection practice with people who are in deep racial conflict or deep ideological conflict of another sort if you don't have experience with racism? Hmm. Trying to think if I've actually had that conversation with anybody or used the connection practice in a racial situation. I haven't. But I have uh, definitely used it in an ideological conflict um, where um, trying to think how to frame this story. Let's just say that we, we all know that there's a lot of political polarity in our country and that when people from the two different sides in our country that are polarized come together and try to talk, that it's often very difficult and people get triggered. And so um, what I can say is that I have been involved in helping people connect across that divide to be able to find a way to be connected heart to heart despite such big political differences. Can you and, say more you know, about that? Can I say more about that? Yeah, because what's been helpful about everything you've said so far is that you don't stay in the headspace just describing it, describing it conceptually. You go right into the practice, and one can see and feel what it is you did. So can you say more about that? Mm. Yes. I'm trying to, to re remember the exact way we got there. Um, I think it was really centered mostly on the need for change, progress, that the two people really both wanted hope for a better world. Mm. Some kind of some kind of a change that that they could really connect around the desire to see people thriving, creating a better world, and where they were in conflict was just their strategies for getting there. Mm -hmm. So that was the the essence of it. But you know the thing is in describing this, as I'm remembering this one event where I was working with these people in that question, that the coherence that we used in that situation spoke louder than the words. You know, I have found that when doing mediations where there's a lot of charge on the issue, that getting coherent makes a huge difference. Usually in doing the connection practice, we don't do coherence first. Usually we do feelings and needs first so that each person feels heard. But in mediations where there's a big charge like in this political argument, the vibration of the heart speaks louder than the empathy words. Mm. And so when you combine the vibration of the heart feeling appreciation, creating an energy field between the two people that is filled with appreciation, and then you use the empathy words, you know, that we both have a need for progress. We both have a need to contribute to people's well-being. You know, we both want to see people succeed. When you can use those words and they, they're carried by the vibration of the heart, I know in that particular situation, that is what made the difference. 
Thank you. And I'm going to stop here because what I would like to say and maybe speak with you later about, I would love to learn and be guided by you um, about how we deal with the, the issue of racism, not just in this country, but elsewhere where it's not just a disagreement on strategy, but where it feels like it goes to the heart of who we see as human and how we get to the place where we can see each other as human feels like hugely important to be able to transform racism wherever it occurs. Yeah. Yeah, so mm. I'm just hearing that deep yearning that you have for all people mm -hmm. to be seen for who they are and for all people to be respected and treated <clears throat> equally, treated with um, appreciation for for their gifts, not seen as as different and separate. Is that right? Yes, and I, um, contrary to how people might think about it, I'm especially interested in people who would perpetrate racism, who see the other as not human, as what can be done to heal them, heal their hearts, heal their ability to connect to other people. Because one thing they may not be aware of is a lot of the people that they don't see as human both see themselves as human and see the perpetrators of racism as human. But people who are holding that in their own hearts feels like deep healing is needed there. And I'm very interested in that. Mm -hmm. All right, Jackie. Well, Thank I'd be you. happy to talk with you further about that. You can, Thank you. You can email me or um, take a course. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And Jackie, we'll make sure that we get you connected as well. So, and and just a reminder too that this this will be this recording will be sent out. Um, but you can also contact me, your host um, Molly Rowan Leach at rjonrise at gmail dot com. So I believe that email is included in the registrations. Let's go ahead and Jackie. Thank you so much for that. That um, I really resonated with your comments and questions. Um, I'm guessing a lot of people did here tonight. Uh, there's another person that would like to have a moment here. Um, so let's open it up here to Janae. Welcome, Janae. How are you doing? Thank you so much. Thank you, Molly. Rita Marie, every time I hear you speak, I just feel so inspired over and over. Thank you. Um, I have a question and one comment about what Jackie was sharing. But here's my question first. Um, I've been moving forward with heart math, and I keep wanting to get better and better at connection practice too. But that's the area where I've been making the most progress is in heart math. And I'm actually working in a very large city on the East Coast, bringing it into the community called the City of. Um, and it's fascinating to see how people who work for a city um, work with it. Um, one of the questions that comes up over and over again, and I wonder if you went into it, is both with the police departments I'm talking to and the civilian city people, is they say, well, what's the difference between heart math or the connection process and mindfulness training? And I, I tried my best to explain the difference, but I'd love to hear if you went into that issue. Well, I have had... Um, Mindfulness teachers tell me what the difference is. So okay. uh, that's what I can uh, express here, is that people tell us that, um, of course, with mindfulness, it's focused on being in the present, and so there's a great value in that, just becoming present uh, and you know, calming ourselves down and just being present. Um, but what mindfulness teachers tell us is that because we use the intelligence of the heart, you know, we, we very deliberately use heart math, as you know, heart math, Janae, um, to get 
the heart to pull the brain into coherence, and then to consciously listen for a specific answer to the problem. And when we listen to an insight in our hearts, it is an answer that is intuitive, it's creative, it's more transcendent. It gets us out of the, the judgmental sort of small box that we tend to, to have when we use just our intellect. Not that the intellect is a bad thing. The intellect is there to support us as well, but it's more narrow. And that when we use the intelligence of the heart, that it provides this way for us to get very specific guidance as to a next step. So mindfulness teachers tell us that the connection practice is a great complement to mindfulness because mindfulness is not designed to give specific answers like that. You know, uh, you're not you're not asking for that, and you're not getting particularly that. You might have a specific answer come forward, but when we do in the connection practice, set an intention. We ask, "What do I need to know?" We listen inside. And we expect um, something, you know, and it's not like uh, we put a demand on it. uh, And sometimes answers don't come, but often they do. And so we find a way forward. And that's what mindfulness teachers tell us has been so valuable for them. Does that help? Perfect, Marie. So much. And it's just, Molly, if it's okay, I'd like to share a note about racism issues. I live in Oakland. And there is a mm-hmm, getting please. larger and larger circle. Uh, thank you. Um, a larger and larger circle of peace builders who have been trained in heart math. And some of us, Rita Marie has been here and has been trained in the connection practice. And we are now, just like Rita Marie said, from practicing, we feel it in our circle as soon as one of us has triggered another. And, it, and even though we're peace builders, we do it all the time unintentionally. And literally, exactly what you said, Rita Marie. Like you see people take a breath because they felt it. I see everybody put their hand on their heart. And we just create exactly what you said, Molly, just naturally now because we've been working together, this spacious pause and slow down enough to go, oh, okay, ouch, and deal with it. So, Jackie, that doesn't help in places where people don't have the intention to deal. You know, it's, uh, we're working with each other very intentionally to be peaceful. But I know from doing this, and I'm sure Rita Marie can tell stories too, and even just one of you is doing that, it makes a difference. So um, I just wanted to share that I am watching it happen uh, over racial issues and conflicts like that when we're working in community and we're dealing with really painful things from um, police overuse of force to homelessness to whatever's happening. And people don't understand each other and they hear each other's comments as something like, that was such a white comment or that was it's sensitive in some way. Um, I don't know if that helps. Well, thank you so much, Janae, for that. I really appreciate you sharing a bit more about what you're up to in Oakland. Is there a way, uh, if people are interested in finding out even more about what you've been up to there, um, to contact you? If it's okay for the moment, I'll give an email address. Oh, sure. If you'd be willing, that would be great. I would love to. So Janae is J-E-N-N-A-E. And my last name is Wallach, W-A-L-L-A-C-H. And my email is the old-fashioned AOL. So it's Janae, J-E-N-N-A-E-W, at AOL.com. And I'd be honored to speak with anybody who has questions. Wonderful. Thank you so much, much, Janae. Thank you. And Rita Marie, I know that we've gone over a few minutes here tonight together, but um, I just want to close out with, um, is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, And certainly, I just want to remind people too, to please go to connectionpractice.org. That's connectionpractice, all one word, .org. And you can find out more about the September 7th introductory with Rita Marie. Um, that's free of charge, and it's called A Simple Solution for Our Disconnected World. And Rita Marie, go ahead if you have any closing mm-hmm. comments or thoughts. 
Yes, I was just pausing <laughs> to uh, <laughs> Thank enjoy. You. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. I was just really reflecting on how um, heartening it is to to gather together like this and to to feel the energy on this call to to know how many people are joining together to find solutions and are committed to creating a more peaceful world, a world where we do have racial equality, where we are able to teach our children to be connected to themselves and others so that we don't have bullying, we don't have suicide, we don't have all of this unnecessary suffering. So I'm so grateful for everybody on this call. I'm grateful for your your commitment to a better world and for all the ways in which you are doing that. So I'm just feeling grateful, and and I hope that you will join me on September 7th. I'm looking forward to that. And you, on Molly. behalf of, yes, thank you so very much, Rita Marie. And, of course, I'm Molly Rowan Leach. And this uh, session with Rita Marie Johnson will be put up as a open source podcast and available on iTunes as are over 125 dialogues at restorativejusticeontherise.org. Thank you for being a part of creating a better world together, everyone. It's been a pleasure to be with you here tonight. We'll be following up with you with the recording from tonight and more information about getting connected with Rita Marie further. So have a great rest of your evening and see you on the next dialogue of Restorative Justice on the Rise. Good night, everyone.